Good morning, everybody. Welcome to church. Would you join us as we worship this morning? Ashley 
has um, she been trying to get baptized a while. You have to appreciate a mom and dad who take the biblical, not advice, but command to train up their child in the way that they should go, that when they're old, they'll not depart from it. Making sure as best we can that they're ready. Amen? Amen. I got some good news. Ashley's getting baptized. Give God some praise this morning. He is worthy. He is worthy. I also want to share with you, we had the privilege last night. I, I really, I truly don't know how many were here. I never did get them all stopped long enough to count them. Um, but we had some of Joel's basketball players here for a movie last night, and I think that there was probably somewhere between 30 and 40. Um, I'm sure there was at least 30, probably closer to 40, and 80 to 85 percent of them made a profession of faith last night. Give God some praise. And I think it's important that we, we recognize Hey, God's God. He can do what he wants to do, when he wants to do it, the way he wants to do it. And he don't need our permission or approval. Amen? Amen. But God seems to have chosen in this wonderful age of grace, the church age, that what he does in this world, in the lives of people, he does through his people. And for years, Joel has been pouring into these young people in these sports program and Miss Sandra, and they have many, many um, parents and coaches that are committed to that program. So they, they've sown seed, and they've sown seed, and they've sown seed, and and then you guys came together and you watered the seed um, in allowing them to, to use our church van to run back and forth to practices and tournaments, and and then. And then in uh, preparing them a meal last night and um, sacrificing that they could come out here and enjoy a movie. And God used the seeds that Joel sowed and the water that you sprinkled on those seeds. And then God last night done what only God can do and he gave the increase. Give him some praise this morning. He is worthy. He's worthy. Are you sure you're ready to be baptized? Yes. You're positive? Yes. <laughs> Ashley, do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Yes. Do you believe that he came into this world, he lived a sinless life, and he died on the cross to pay for your sins? Yes. Do you believe that three days later he rose again and has given you everlasting life? Yes. And Ashley, I baptize you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. I baptize you in the likeness of His death. You're now raised to walk in a newness of life. Let me just say one more time what great things he hath done. Amen. 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 Michael. 
Ain't it great? Ain't God great? Lord, you can't beat him. Man, I love a good baptism. I love it when people come and get baptized. Yeah. Um, <laughs> okay, for those that are online that want to give, go to www.bridge.com and go to give. For those that are with us that's visiting, we have the little blue box here on the table and one out front there if you want to tithe and give a tithe and everything like that. And um, this is the time when we do our praise or prayer request or anything like that at this time. So I'm going to go ahead and start it off. Last Sunday, I think it was, on last Sunday or Wednesday, I mentioned a friend of mine named Charlie Ford or Anthony Ford that had a bleeding on the brain and he was trying to see if he was going to make it or not make it. He didn't make it. And then my Uncle Cleve, which was out at Autumn Care, he didn't make it because he had low blood or something. That he, he had a loss of blood. So today is his funeral. So just pray for my family and the rest of my family just to give them comfort and to look towards God for that which they need at this point in time. Anybody else have a, Charlie? Yeah, I had a childhood friend who uh, died a couple days ago. His name was Donald. Uh, if y'all would pray for him and his family, I'd appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, hold on here. Let me get right here to David. I'd like everyone to pray for Rodney Lewis. He's in the hospital. He's got sepsis. His kidneys have failed. He's on dialysis and on a ventilator. And so if everybody would keep him in their prayers, it'd be great. Uh, Bill, you had something? Anybody else? You had something? That's right. That's right. <laughs> oh, Lord. Uh, let's go. 
just ask God to keep, you know, blessing our church and growth and all the things that he's allowed us to do and bless the members that are not been able to be here with us at this point in time. You know, just keep them up in prayers. Uh, I'm not going to go through all the names. Uh, their names are probably up on the board. They usually are, but anybody else have anything? What? I've got hand mind practice at 6. Uh, Joe, you know, the small group. We don't have a date set for that yet, but you know, he's going to announce it. So. I shared a personal um, prayer request in Sunday school about um, protection for my daughters, or Dave and my daughters. And Satan wants to take down our children. And this also segues into how Joel is ministering. Um, we, as a church, need to lift up our youth because they're our future. And especially now that I'm in my 60s, we need to raise them up. But we also have to pray for a hedge of protection over our children. So Satan's darts won't pierce them. So I personally, my two daughters really need prayer right now for different issues. But I just want to lift up all the young ones here, too, to know that I'm not only playing, praying for my immediate family, I'm praying for your children, too. All right. Anybody else have anything? Uh, Billy? You want to use this? Oh, hold on. Yeah, hold on. My fault. Hold on. I'm not. I mean, I want to rush. My name is Kendall. Um, we're, I'm with Savannah. We're friends of Ashley's, and I just want to say thank you for bringing her to Fish Cove. She has made a tremendous difference in my life, and I'm so thankful that she invited me and Savannah to watch her baptize. She has made a tremendous difference in this world, and I'm so thankful for that. Of course, it's my first time here, and I'm, I love it so much. And my cousin Joel, he's He's amazing at what he does, and I'm just so thankful for her family and her to welcome me here. Thank you. Amen. Ain't God good? God is good. Can you do it? You want me to? Yeah, I got What a special morning. I mean, uh, to see uh, someone make a profession of faith. And to see you stand up and speak the way they do. And uh, I was still blessed to be here last night to see all those hands pop up. And uh, to get that affirmation from God, you know, I just want to let you know that, like everybody said, just be the splash. Because when all them pe people left here last night after that movie, that ripple goes. And we're just going to let God handle that. You know, amen. Okay, let's go to Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this morning, Lord. And we just lift up all these names and petitions to you, Father. And we ask that you have your will in your way, Lord. And we just ask a, a special blessing upon the tithe. May it further your kingdom and multiply. 
ask a blessing upon Pastor Frank and his family as he brings the word this morning. May it convict us and make us more like Jesus before we came as we leave today. We praise you. We love you. We thank you in your son Jesus Christ's name. Amen.
shame at the door Cause it ain't welcome anymore Ooh, here in your father's house You were the word at the beginning One with God and the Lord most high You're hidden glory in creation Now Sin was great.
Why? Because God hath given him a name above every name. Of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There's much to be said about a name when it's his name. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I want you to turn with me to the book of Acts in chapter number 27. Acts chapter number 27. I just got to confess to you this morning, I'm overwhelmed. I don't know whether to call it overwhelmed or overshadowed, maybe overfilled. But to witness the goodness, the grace, the loving kindness of God in someone making a public profession of faith in the finished work of Christ overwhelms me. And then Miss Amanda Bowen is visiting with us today. Most of you, our old family at least, knows Miss Amanda. Uh, her mother, Miss Deborah, um, is still a member here. Um, but she had moved back to Georgia to be with her family, and she passed away there. And um, Miss Amanda has come down here to spread her mother's ashes. So you be praying for her and their family. Um, when you hear me make statements about folks getting saved in Mexican restaurants, one of those people is Miss Deborah Bowen. And then um, her family followed in her footsteps, and we had the privilege of uh, baptizing Amanda and her children uh, all the way from Georgia. Isn't that a wonderful testimony? Amen. And, and by the way, let me, let me just stop right there and, and thank um, the folks who work in our sound booth, our technicians who make our services available online, only eternity will tell. Yeah, give them, give them a hand. Only eternity will tell how many lives you're impacting through your ministries. Um, Harry and Donna are here that been, that before uh, they actually came to the church, they followed us for months online, wanted to see wanted to figure you guys out before they showed up in person. Um, but but, but that, is, that is a wonderful, wonderful opportunity um, that we're able to reach people literally around the globe without leaving Brunswick County. Amen? And then on top of that, here come Chris Gaskins and Melissa walking in and all of their beautiful children back there. We've, we've had the privilege of baptizing that, that entire family, I think, pretty close to it anyway. And, uh, boy, God's just been so good to us, hasn't he? I've got to stop or I'm going to start crying. Um, <clears throat> our text is Acts chapter number 27 in verse number, what verse did I say it was? I'm, I'm telling you, I'm overwhelmed. No Verse 13, Luke is penning these words and recording an event in the life of the Apostle Paul and 275 other men, most of whom 
were unbelievers. And the Bible says in verse number 13, And when the south wind blew softly, supposing they had obtained their purpose, loosing thence, they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, somebody say it, don't take long. But not long after there arose against it, against the ship that they were sailing in, a tempestuous wind called Eurycladon. Father, we are so grateful for your presence in our midst this morning. Your son declared that if he be lifted up, you would draw all men into yourself. He has been exalted here already today. You said where two or three are gathered in your name, there you are in the midst of them. And so we welcome your presence today. Father, gathered under the roof of this building with all that we have going for us, there's still a multitude of problems because we're real people living in a real world with real problems. And so, God, I pray that this morning, while I don't know what others are going through, I know you do. And there is not one struggle, one storm, one soul in this building that you're not aware of and concerned about. And so, God, I pray that for the next few moments that, that you speak to us individually and personally. God, that this would not just be some corporate message, but that it would impact, impact life change. On a personal level. Teach us to trust you. As we open up this text. Please oh God open up our minds and our hearts. That we might become more like. Christ this morning. Than we were last night. In his name we pray. Amen. And amen. We studied a very similar passage to this recently. It's always interested me, intrigued me, if you will, at the amount of Scripture God gives to problems, that he gives to storms. We studied the text where Jesus sent his disciples on ahead of him across the Sea of Galilee. and They encountered a storm. This morning, it's not Peter, it's Paul. One of the 
godliest men in all of the New Testament. Certainly one of the most powerful preachers, Bible teachers that we have in Scripture. In fact, you would not have two-thirds of the New Testament that you're holding in your phone or in your Bible in front of you this morning if it weren't for this man named the Apostle Paul. And I think that it's important that we point that out because sometimes we need reminded that storms are a part of life. Not only for lost people, for saved people as well. Not only for those of secular society, but those that gather in the sanctuary on Sunday mornings. will inevitably encounter storms. Now we certainly do not have time to exhaust this entire narrative because it's 44 verses long. And y'all know I can stick on one verse for a while. So that's why I've only read two of them. And I've only got a couple of things to point out from this text. But before you get too happy, I've got a lot to say about each thing I want to point out. I'd be willing to say that there are some folks sitting here this morning Folks joining with us online today, and, and we want to welcome you. That if you were honest with yourself and with God, you found yourself overwhelmed as of late as well. And it may not be a revival kind of overwhelming, but more you've got bigger problems than you can manage. Struggles have overwhelmed you. I don't think that we can navigate the storms that life throws our way without first we're able to identify why it is at least some of them happen. Now this isn't an exhaustive list, but I want you to know that some storms are unavoidable but some of them are avoidable. And in order for you to navigate the storms of life, you've got to understand something about what causes those storms. Now, I could spend the entirety of our time together just speaking on the reasons of storms, but I want to point out seven just very quickly. If you're taking notes, keep up fast because we've got a lot to cover. First, I think that it re it's revealed in the text that some storms are just situational. The Bible says in verse number 9 of chapter 27, Now when much time was spent, and when sailing was now dangerous, because the fast was now already past, 
So Luke records there's a reason for this storm beyond causation of anybody on the ship. It was a storm because it was storm season. Those of us who live here permanently on the coast are familiar with seasons of storm. We call it hurricane season here. And so we need to understand first and foremost that some storms that you encounter in life are through no fault of your own. You need not blame family members. And don't dare point your finger at God because God does not cause everything that happens on this planet. Let, let me say it this way. Storms are just a natural part of life. It's part of living in a fallen, imperfect world. You're going to encounter storms. It's been said that you are either in the middle of a storm, coming out of a storm, or there is a storm hanging on your horizon. It's just a reality of life. Well, Pastor, why is it so important that we understand that? Because I believe that if we just operated under the assumption that life sometimes just don't work out the way we planned it, then when the storms come, they might not be as apt to knock us flat of our spiritual back. But, but secondly, not only are some storms just situational, that's just a, a product of life. Some storms are developmental. What I mean is, is God sometimes does call storms to come up in your life, not to destroy you, but to develop you. That was the case when we studied Peter and the disciples being sent across the Sea of Galilee. Jesus went up into the mountain to pray. I hope you're on the same page as I am and we're in agreement that Jesus is God. And as God, he knows everything. Has it ever occurred to you nothing's ever occurred to him? He knew full well the disciples were going to encounter a storm on the Sea of Galilee. But he sent them anyway. I've even wondered, since we're not told, what it was he was praying for while he was on the mountain, if maybe he was asking the Heavenly Father to stir up a storm in the life of his followers. Preacher, would God do that? Well, I can promise you one thing. He was not praying that the storm would not happen or it wouldn't have happened. You see, there's things that you need to know about God that you can only learn in the valleys of life. 
There's things that God can teach you in a storm that you're not ready to learn when the sun's shining. Sometimes God will allow you to go into a storm so that he can teach you something. Can I say this? If you're in a storm and God's allowing you to go through it, he has a purpose and a plan for it. And that purpose and that plan includes you coming out the other side better than you were when you went into it. Maybe rather than pray, God, remove all of our storms, we ought to pray he give us the good sense to learn what we need to know quickly and get on to the other side. I'm satisfied while we do pray for God to remove negative situations and circumstances, we waste a lot of time praying and asking God to remove certain situations that he's created to develop and make us stronger. Do you understand Peter would have never learned to walk on water if God hadn't stirred up a storm? The disciples learned to trust him in that boat like they would have never learned to trust him laying on the beach. Some storms are necessary to teach you things about God and yourself that you can't learn when the birds are singing and the sun's shining. Thirdly, some storms are created by God, but they're not for your development, they're for your discipline. We see this in the Old Testament and the New Testament as well. If you'll remember, God in the Old Testament called a man named Noah to go to Nineveh and preach a one-sentence sermon. Boy, don't y'all wish God would give me that kind. And Noah refused. Rather than go to Nineveh, Jonah jumped on a boat to Tarshish. Hey, let me stop and just make a statement right here. When God tells you to do something and you don't do it, it's just as much of disobedience as when God tells you not to do something and you do it anyway. And so God stirred up a storm in Jonah's life to discipline him, to correct him. Maybe you're here this morning and you're going through a storm and you've not been able to figure out why you're going through what you're going through. Could it be that God's told you to do something and you're dragging your feet. Could it be God has revealed his purpose and his plan, but you've chosen your own path? You need not expect God to remove 
a storm that he sent to chastise you with until you repent of whatever it is that he's commanded you to do that you're not doing. Some storms God creates to discipline his children. Not because he's trying to destroy them, but because he loves them and he cares for us. And he wants to set our feet on the right path when we choose the wrong. Some storms are the result of choosing, boy, this is going to nail the majority of the church. Some storms are the result of choosing convenience over commitment. I'm going to say that one more time because most of you missed it. Some storms that we encounter are the result of choosing convenience over commitment. Notice verse number 8. The Bible says, And hardly passing it, we came to a place which is called the fair havens. Boy, that sounds like the holiday end, don't it? Whereunto was a city of Lysia. Then notice, that's where they're at. And then notice verse number 12. But because the haven was not commodious or comfortable to winter in, the more part advised to depart. Now, Paul had encouraged them, the Bible says admonished them to stay in the fair havens. But because it was not commodious, it was not comfortable, the winter would be harsher in the fair havens. They didn't want the Holiday Inn God provided. They wanted the Hilton down the sea slope shore somewhere. And it resulted in them sailing into a storm because they chose comfort over commitment. They chose convenience over the challenge. Whoever told some of you that being a Christian was always smooth sailing? It might have sounded good, but fact of the matter is, it's a lie. The Bible says to endure hardness as a good soldier. Could I suggest to you this morning that God is more interested in your commitment to him than he is your comfort in your house. And so they chose convenience over commitment. Number five, some storms, I want some of you young people to hear me when I say this, well, some of you older folk too. 
Some storms are the result of following the crowd. The same verse says in verse number 12, and because the haven was not comfortable, it was not convenient to winter in, the most part advised to depart. Don't skip over that, the most part. The majority, the the crowd, the greater number of people decided to do what God told them not to do. And so they departed, and some of them got in a mess just because they was following the crowd. My my grandma just had a way of talking to us that, that made sense, and she used, you know, just simple phrases that everybody used back then, but you don't hear much of anymore. Anybody's grandma ever tell them, if you lay down with dogs... You better be careful what crowd you're traveling with. Could, could, could I go on record as saying the majority is rarely ever right? You see it throughout the Bible. When God brought the children of Israel to the borders of the promised land, Joshua sent 12 spies over in to spy out the land of Canaan to see if it was everything God said it would be. So the 12 went, and they found out it was everything God said it would be, and then some, a land, they said, that was flowing with milk and honey. Boy, that sounds good, don't it? But 10 of them gave an evil report of the land. All they could see was the opposition. All they could see was the giants in the lands and the problems that lay ahead of them. So the majority said, we can't do it, we ain't going. And only two, only two, Joshua and Caleb, took God at his word. And because the majority won out, an entire nation lost a generation in the wilderness. We're losing a generation in the wilderness because folks are more interested in following the crowd than they are following Jesus. You'll get in trouble following the crowd. You'll do things with the crowd you wouldn't do on your own. You'll make choices to fit in with the crowd that you would not be confronted with if you hung out with the few. You see... Brings me to number six. Some storms are the result of following secular counsel rather than scriptural counsel. 
Notice verse number 10. Paul said unto them, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of the lading of the ship, but also of our lives. And then the very next verse says, now, now that's, that's Paul. He's telling them what he perceived, not what he come up with or concluded on his own. What he perceived, or could I say it this way, received from God. That They needed to stay where they were, stay put, bloom where they were planted. But verse number 11 says, Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken by Paul. Paul was God's mouthpiece. But the centurion chose to listen to the professional rather than the preacher. And, and listen, this ain't about the preacher. This is about the preacher's responsibility before God to give godly counsel. So in short, when he chose the professional over the preacher, he chose secular wisdom over godly wisdom. The Bible says if you want to be blessed, here's how every one of us can be blessed. Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. So the steps... To the blessed life, as opposed to the disciplinary storms of life, is to be careful who you're listening to. It amazes me when I'm doing marriage counseling at the, the couples that will come to me, and they've pretty much got in their heads before they ever sit down with me that they're going to get a divorce. They just want my stamp of approval on it. You ain't getting it. I ain't giving it to you. The Bible still says God hates divorce. Now there's three allowances. I'm not going to get, I ain't got time to get into all of that. Three allowances, biblical allowances God makes for divorce. But just because she burnt her biscuits ain't one of them. Because y'all can't agree on what kind of house you're going to live in, where your kids are going to go to college. That's not a reason for a divorce. But it amazes me, especially women, and I don't mean to pick on y'all women, but it just amazes me that you'll take advice on your marriage for somebody who's been married three or four times. That don't make no sense to me whatsoever. And reject biblical counseling to receive ungodly wisdom. Let, let me say this. If that's your idea, you're headed for a storm. 
If that's how you live your life and how you make life choices and life decisions is by listening to ungodly people, you're going to shipwreck. And yet our churches at this very moment are filled with people listening to worldly wisdom rather than scriptural wisdom. You do that by listening, giving precedence to a biologist over the Bible. When scientists speak louder to you than Scripture, when you're more impressed with what a doctrine says than what doctrine, what a doctor says than what doctrine clearly teaches. When you choose worldly wisdom over the Word of God, you're headed for a shipwreck. And so, number seven, another reason for storms. Some storms are the result of social interactions or implications. You see, Paul's caught up in this mess, and he didn't choose to be in this mess. The people that surrounded him made this choice. Paul was in chains, and had no choice but to go alone. Let me see if I can make it a little more clear. You're headed for a shipwreck when all you hang around is stupid people. (laughs) Hey, listen, I'm not trying to be mean-spirited here. I'm being honest. Don't hang out with dummies if you don't want your boat to sink. They made a stupid decision. Failure to reason and logic and think through the situation. They just made choices based on what felt good, smelt good, tasted good, and looked good. And you see, that's the way with secular humanism. Making choices based on how you feel rather than using your head for what God gave it to you for. I ain't the only one in here ever been impacted because somebody else done something dumb. If I am, I must be the only parent in the crowd. (laughs) Come on. I'm impressed by this lady who meets Jesus in Scripture and she wants Jesus to heal her son. What amazes me is not that her son's in trouble. I was a son. I have a son. I know what it is to make stupid decisions. Don't you? What amazes me is just how brutally honest she is with Jesus right in front of her son. And she says this, My son's a lunatic. And I think sometimes 
we cannot get out of the storm because we want to cover up what the problem really is. Some storms are the result of who you rub elbows with on a regular basis. If, if somebody's spending every other weekend in jail, you might want to find somebody else to hang out with. Hey, if your friend has OD'd three times, don't stop loving him or her, but you might want to find you some more friends. Let me say to our young people out here this morning, if you get in the car with somebody that's drinking, you need to change your friends. And by the way, just because your friends are doing it don't mean you got to. It was because of these seven reasons that we see, I believe, clearly in Scripture and immediately in this text that the Bible says in verse number 14, but not long after, there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurycliden. A couple of things to notice about this storm itself. One, it was sudden. Anybody ever noticed how fast a storm can come into your life? Some are predictable, but some just come out of nowhere. It was sudden, but not long after. And it was severe. Notice the Bible says, there arose against it a tempestuous wind called Eurycliden. The word tempestuous carries the idea of tumultuous, turbulent, forceful. I'm not positive, but I think this may be the only storm that's named in the Bible, at least in the New Testament. Eurycliden. Memorable because of the severity of it. You see, storms come on fast. And sometimes when they hit, they'll knock you flat of your back. I mean, there's those summer rains with a little thunder here and a little thunder there, lightning off in the distance. But this storm set down right on top of Paul's ship was tossing it up and down and back and forth. Now, I just wonder. I wonder who may be right here this morning joining with us online today that that's a description of your life right now. You don't know up from down, in from out. Life is just chaotic and tumultuous and you could describe it as the Storm of all storms. I want to suggest to you it may be because of one of those seven reasons. And you need to be able to identify it in order to navigate it. Don't blame it on the crowd if you're the issue. Don't blame it 
on the stupidity of your friends or your family if you're the root cause of it. If it's situational, it's going to pass. If it's developmental, I promise you, you're going to learn your lesson. God's a good teacher. But if it's disciplinary, you have a responsibility in how you react to the storm. And that will determine how long you're stuck in the middle of it. The results of storms, there's seven of them at least. I mean, I, I, could, I told you I could go on all day on just, oh, that was point number one. Um, but, but, but I think we need to, to notice something about the response that we all have to storms. How do we react when we encounter storms? And, and how do we act according to our perspective? That is, lost people, people who don't know Christ, who aren't Christ followers... They should act or react differently to storms than what safe folk do. I mean, if you're a Christian, you ought not react the same way a lost person reacts when a storm enters into your life. That's what faith's for, by the way. But, but here's, here's just a few very quickly how secular society tends to react in the midst of a storm. Number one, it usually begins with shock. The secular crowd's first response is panic. Notice verse number 15. And when the ship was caught and could not bear up in the wind, we let her drive. I don't know about you, but if, if I go out with Jacob Blake, on his fishing boat, I'm going to have a real issue if he sails me into the middle of a storm. I'm going to have a bigger issue if we get in the middle of that storm, he takes his hands off the wheel and says, well, it is what it is. <laughs> That's what they done. They panicked. The Bible says, we just let her drive. <laughs> that song, Jesus, take the wheel. I understand the concept, but bless God, if I'm riding in the car with you, you hang on to it till you know he's got it. <laughs> if not, I'm grabbing it. L listen, listen. If you're a Christian, you shouldn't panic just because you... Dear God, don't take your hands off. God expects something out of you. Use your heart, but use your hands too and your head. Number two, the secular crowd's second response is usually to work harder to save what they were expecting to save them. You see it right there in the text. Verse 16 and running under a certain island which is called Clauda, we had, to, we had much work to come by the boat, which when they had taken up, they used helps undergirding the ship and fearing lest they should fall into the quicksands, they straight sail and so were driven. Their second inclination when panic didn't pan out 
was to get everybody together, put their minds together, put their hands together, and solve the problem that they were in. Listen to me. There's some things in life you cannot solve. There's some things in God's economy that no matter how many people you have on your side, you cannot steal the storm. Working harder... Don't always get it done. Number three, they throw, here, here we go, church. They throw resources at the storm in hopes to survive it. Notice verse number 18. And we be, being exceedingly tossed with a tempest, the next day they lighted the ship. Now, that don't mean set it on fire. They lightened it. They started throwing stuff overboard. The, the rigging of the ship, that that they needed to sail. And the third day, they cast out with their own hands the tackling of the ship. And then verse 38 says, And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and cast out the wheat into the sea. Now, I know that this might be straining the text a bit, but I believe it's applicable to the way that lost people react in times of chaos and confusion and storms. If I can just throw enough money at it, it'll subside. If I can just dump some more resources into it, if I, if I can just put enough finances behind it, I can solve this problem. I can fix it with money. In case you hadn't figured it out, let me clue you in on something. Most things in life, money can't repair. Especially considering the storms we find ourselves in. Let, let me give you an example. Most of you know that I wasn't born a preacher. I, I wasn't even born saved. I was as lost as a golf ball in high weeds, if any of you know what that means. I mean, when God saved me, he saved me out of a ditch. I was an alcoholic. I was strung out on drugs. And when my parents first realized that I had a problem, they wanted to fix me. And I remember the first treatment center that I went into, $10,000 they threw at my problem. $10,000 and what they were expecting to get back after six weeks was a son who was no longer addicted to alcohol and drugs. But what they didn't understand is you can't buy your way out of a spiritual problem. What they got back was a 16-year-old kid with excuse and reasons that I had to justify my addiction. You see, that's what psychologists and psychiatrists will do for you. Oh, I know. They want to find anything and everything to blame your problem on, but most of the time the problem is looking right back at you when you're looking in the mirror. Amen. And $10,000 went down the drain, and I was worse off than I was before I ever went in there. Now, now th that was my issue, but what's yours? What are you just throwing money at hoping it's going to solve that problem? Some of you, it's just an empty feeling down in your soul. 
You think if you can get this or get that, if you can accumulate just a little bit more, then you'll finally maybe be happy. If I can just get that bigger house, that nicer car, if I can just get that job that I've been striving for, if I can just get the right degree, if I can just get the right number in my banking account where I don't have to stress and worry anymore, then I can be happy. Let me clue you in on something. More money will more, most often make you more miserable. Read the story of the rich farmer that God calls a fool. Because he thought happiness could be achieved with finances and stuff. And yet, man, we got a whole slew of people in this country thinks that if you just throw enough money at it, you can fix it. I'll go there in just a minute. Number four is they succumb to the storm. When they realize money can't solve it, they just give in to it. Verse number 20, And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared, and no small tempest lay on us, all hope, got to be one of the saddest statements in all of the Bible, all hope that we should be saved was taken away. There's no more desperate place on the planet than hopelessness. And that's where they are. And then finally, they abandon ship. When they realize they can't save themselves and they can't save the people around them, they figure, well, we'll just save ourselves and forget about the people around us. Verse 29 says, Then fearing lest we should have fallen upon rocks, they cast forth anchors out of the stern and wished for the day. And as the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship, when they had let down the boat into the sea under color or pretending as though they would have cast anchors out of the foreship. Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, except these abide in the ship, you cannot be saved. I want you to think, about how selfish the choice to abandon ship was for these sailors. Now, they didn't want anybody to know that they were leaving. They pretended to be letting down anchors, and what they were letting down was a life. But, oh, think about that just for a moment. The storm is destroying the ship that they're in. And they think the way to survive is to put a dinghy in the same storm and get in it. Really? This ship's sinking. Let's grab a John boat. But the problem wasn't as much their lunacy is the fact that they were abandoning ship and turning their backs on everybody inside of it. They did not care about nobody but self. Now, I doubt 
the majority of us even on a boat, much less a ship. But could I suggest to you that if God added an entire chapter to the Bible to teach us something about ships and storms, there was something he wanted us to learn. You see, we all have ships. We have relationships. We have citizenships. We have fellowship. We have stewardship. And in all of that, it's not all about you. And it's not all about me. But because of selfishness, people in a storm will abandon ship. I wonder how many marriages have sunk to the bottom of the sea because the husband or the wife or the husband and the wife were just too selfish to stay in the ship. Listen, I'm not trying to be mean. And if you've been through a divorce, I'm sorry that you went through that. But if you're sitting here today or you're joining with us online and you're married and you're thinking about getting out of that marriage, you better ask yourself why. Because chances are it might just be because you're too selfish to stay in it and to fight for it. I wonder how many babies would be alive right now if mothers weren't so selfish as to give their lives on the altar of Planned Parenthood. This church is a fellowship. We're a fellowship of believers. All across this country, I just read an article just yesterday where a church that was running 300 pre-COVID is now down to 100. You know, let me tell you what's happening right there. And you can get mad at me. You can huff. You can puff. You can turn red in the face. I'm going to say it because I mean it and it's the truth. A lot of it is because of selflessness. Selfishness. People care more about themselves than they do those in the ship. Under the color or pretendingly they jump over the side and they'll give you umpteen thousand different reasons for why they went. Let me tell you why. Because they care about themselves and nobody else. The number one reason I believe people abandon their fellowships, their local churches, is because they're not getting what they feel like they ought to get while they're there. I wonder if anybody's ever told you, you ought to go to church for what you can give rather than what you can get. Fellowship. Now, I, I, I don't want y'all going out of here thinking I'm all bad and all mean today. So, I, I want to tell you very quickly how we ought to uh, react to storms. Th- that's how lost people react to storms. But what did Paul do? Well, he called the ship the entire crew to repentance. Notice verse number 21. But after long abstinence, Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, 
you should have hearkened unto me and not have loosed from Crete and have gained this hurt and loss. Listen to what Paul's saying. You should have done what I told you to to start with. Could, could I say this? This ain't about the preacher. But a lot of our families would not be in the shape that they're in if we would have listened to Paul in the first place. A lot of our churches would not be in the shape that they're in if we would have listened to Paul in the first place. A lot of our relationships would not be in the shape, the storm that they're in if we would have listened and acted on what Paul said in the first place. And, and so literally, Paul's not rubbing it in here. I don't, I don't think that's what's happening. Paul's, Paul's too spiritual to let his ego get the best of him. What he's saying is, you didn't listen to me then. You better listen to me now. You got to first... Listen to not only Paul, but listen to the Bible. Secondly, just choose in the middle of your storm that regardless of what it looks like, regardless of what anybody says, regardless of what the professionals are doing, or even your pastor, you're going to believe God. Paul says in verse number 22, And now I exhort you to be of good cheer. For there shall be no loss of any man's life among you, but of the ship. Ship's going down. Should have listened to me before. It's going down. But you don't have to die. Saying, fear not, Paul, for I made... For thou must be brought before Caesar. And lo, God hath given them all that sail with thee. Where, sirs, here it is, be of good cheer... Because I, I believe God. Paul says, hey, this thing's going to work out. Because God made me a promise I was going to Rome. God made me a promise I would appear before Caesar. And I believe God. Furthermore, God said, you're going with me. You're going to make it as well. Hey, can I say this? Hang on, you're going to make it. You're going to get there. Stay in the ship, no matter how broken it is. Because you can make it, even on broken pieces. Notice 46. And the rest, some on boards, and some on broken pieces of the ship, and so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. Some on boards, some on broken pieces of the ship, but nevertheless, all of them made it safe to land. This may just be for me and nobody else in here this morning. But, but, but I wonder, maybe if there's one or two of you that have had to come to God with 
nothing but broken pieces. They're grabbing pieces of the ship that's falling apart. And that's all they have to come safely to the shore. But what they found was all that they had was everything that they needed. And you see, if we could take this away from this message this morning, I would want it to be this. You don't need to dress yourself up to come to God. God would rather you come with all of your broken pieces than to pretend to be something that you're not. And you see, when I got saved, guys, listen, when I got saved, I had nothing to bring to God but a broken mess. Broken, shattered pieces. And you might have come different than I did. But the fact of the matter is, is you brought a lot of baggage with you too. Now here's the problem this, for us believers. Is somehow we assume that when we get saved, we don't have any more storms. That our stuff don't get broke up, jacked up, and messed up anymore. And we start wearing these masks to church on Sunday morning. And pretending everything's all right. But down on the inside is broken. And God says, stop right there. Stop. Stop. Everybody look at me. Don't be looking around. Everybody look at me. Stop right there. Don't leave here and go home and try to fix it. You tried that yesterday, and last week, and last month, and last year, and if you could fix it, it would already be fixed. What I want to challenge you to do today is bring all of that broken, mangled up mess and bring it safely to the shore. Lay it at the feet of Jesus. He's more impressed by your humility than he is the mask that we wear to church on Sunday mornings. We stand to our feet, our heads are bowed, and our eyes are closed. I, I, want, to, I want to ask you that nobody be looking around the room this morning. Vision is on their way to the platform. Um, but, but I just wonder, in a crowd this size, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. We're not here to embarrass anyone or put anybody on the spot. But, but I just wonder, in a crowd this size, how many people would be honest enough just to confess and admit, just acknowledge by, by raising up your hand this morning that, Pastor, I'm in a storm. I'm in a mess. God bless you. This thing is bigger than I am. God bless you. I'm overwhelmed, and it feels like my ship is being torn apart. How about it, sir? How about you, ma'am? Now, here, here's the thing. Whether you're in this room this morning or you're joining with us online today, I want you to know that the first step in getting out of the storm is that if you have never been saved, 
Today. Today make the greatest decision that you have ever made. And give all of that brokenness over to Jesus. Pastor, how can I be saved? It's really simple. The Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus... If you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. Quite simply, it means this. You believe that God, that Jesus is God's son. That he came into this world, lived a sinless life, and yet died on the cross to pay the debt that you owe to God for the sins that you have committed. It's a done deal. It's paid for. It was accomplished 2,000 years ago when Jesus hung on the cross. If you can believe that and believe that he was buried and three days later he rose again, the Bible says you shall be saved. Romans 10, 13, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I want to encourage you this morning. Pastor Joel is going to be with me. Billy will be here with us in the altar. If you've never been saved this morning, I want you to just come take myself or Joel or Billy by the hand you guys come on down and, and just say listen I want to I be saved today we'll take the Bible and show you how how to know when you leave here that you're going to be safe on the other side those of you that are here this morning and you're in a storm I want to challenge you right now I wouldn't wait another minute don't even wait till we start singing Bring that mangled up mess, them broken pieces to the altar. Bring them safely to Jesus. If you do the biblical math in that text, Joel, the Bible says in, I think it was verse 37, that there was 200, three score, and 16 souls. You add all of that up, and the Bible is telling us there was 276 people on board that ship you get down to the very last verse that we read and the Bible says that all each one of them all not 273 not 275 all 276 made it safe to the shore you're struggling this morning if you're a follower of Christ I just want to declare unto you you're going to make it but i got to challenge you, stay in the ship. Some of you have contemplated getting out of that relationship. Stay in the ship. Some have contemplated throwing in the towel and giving up on God. Stay in the ship. Some have contemplated abandoning the fellowship, getting out of the church. You won't survive in the storm. Stay in the ship. Father, this service has been yours since the very first note was played. You were with us in baptism. Lord, I believe that your presence was abiding during this message. God, I'm confident you're right here, right now. Use this invitation for your gain and your glory. Bless your people today. In 
Christ's name we pray. As we begin to sing, why don't you come? Leave it all behind. Leave it all behind. Leave it all behind. Leave it all behind. Well, I have what you need. And you keep on searching. I've done all the work.
I'm going to have Michael dismiss us in prayer, but before I do, I, I want to encourage you um, in the weeks and months to come to remember especially in your prayer. Put them at the top of your prayer list. Ashley uh, Letterer and all of these young people that have made professions of faith at, in Joel's basketball program. Um, it's, it's a challenging time, especially for young people, to make a bold stand for Christ. And so I want you to join us in, in praying with them. Michael, will you dismiss us, please?